Welcome to TrekCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council in Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio, Trek's Marketing and Communications Coordinator. Today our guest is Stephen Duong of ACOM, who gave us a really interesting look at the infrastructure needs our future city planning efforts will require as forthcoming Hyperloop technology is developed, tested, and implemented. Basically, if you heard the news about how you may someday get from Dallas to Austin in 19 minutes and went, wait, what? This one's for you. We're once again sponsored today and throughout our Transportation Revolution podcast series by Boca Powell. I'm John Orfield. I'm a principal at Boca Powell. We've done multiple flight training facilities, most notably for Southwest Airlines and United Airlines. And I come from a Houston background, and so we all wanted to be astronauts before we wanted to become architects. When you get in these facilities, they're absolutely amazing. But you really feel a part of that effort to get people in the air and make sure that the airways are safe for us, but also it's just about the dreams of humans to fly. Boca Powell is moving people and companies forward. To learn more, visit bocapowell.com. Big thanks to Boca Powell for their sponsorship and support. Now, here's Stephen Duong. So what are some of the challenges associated with designing and developing the necessary infrastructure to support a mode of transportation in Hyperloop that doesn't technically exist in our society yet? Well, I think you hit that point in the head. The, the real difficulty is that Unlike a lot of other technologies out there, as you design and develop it, there are at least precedents for them somewhere in the world that you can kind of try and make comparisons and develop policy and standards around. With something like the Hyperloop, it's so new and radical and yet to be still developed and deployed that people have a hard time understanding what exactly are the right ways to manage and mitigate and kind of in some ways regulate something like the Hyperloop. And that extends to the way it's designed engineered too. In a lot of ways, because Hyperloop is so new, as the engineering of the technology actually advances, uh, those engineering firms that are working on it must also work in lockstep with policymakers to make sure when it's actually deployed, everything works together. Otherwise, we're gonna get a less than optimal situation where maybe Hyperloop is held back or there are issues that regulators try to mitigate that we weren't able to do. So the difficulty I think is really, it's still in development, and, but while it's still in development, they must prioritize working with regulators on both the federal and state level to make sure that when it does actually roll out in the early 2020s, it rolls out in the way that we hope it does. How would this technology change the commercial real estate industry? What would need to happen with new and existing developments to accommodate these changes? Right, so with something like the Hyperloop, what I, I usually like to describe is that you're almost in some ways condensing the effect of time and distance on typical developments. So in the case of Hyperloop, I've mentioned before that you can actually theoretically go from Dallas to Austin in about 19 minutes from door to door. Now, 19 minutes allows you to move, let's say, from downtown Dallas uh, to Richardson on a bad day. That might take longer. So theoretically, you could be flying or hyperlooping, if you will, to other cities in Texas faster than we can go from downtown Dallas to other suburbs. And that really has a radical difference, I think, on the way we actually uh, do forecasting for development, the kind of trade area markets you want to capture with your development, the type of demographics you might want to attract. It just asks a lot of questions that we weren't used to asking before. What kind of role will governments have in this? I mean, I'm sure they're, they're following everything that, that goes on with this pretty closely. Yeah, the government's going to have a, a very strong role, and I think rightfully so because it's such a new technology. We really need to understand what the potential implications might be because 
it, we don't want a situation where w the Hyperloop is able to unlock these massive benefits, but because we didn't consider some of the negative effects enough, that it causes problems and causes a slow down the adoption technology, or even in the worst case scenario, kills the project. And so I think it's on both the public and the private sector to work together to make sure that governments understand what they should expect from something like the Hyperloop and what Hyperloop expects the government uh, and sorry, what the Hyperloop companies, how they expect the government to regulate them so they can design engineer systems to meet those standards. What kind of pressure is on for this kind of initiatives to succeed? Uh, I think from the public sector, uh, and not just actually the public sector, from the public realm, from general citizens, there's actually a lot of pressure. I think there's a very strong pent-up demand for people to get around cities and places in a different way. Clearly what we've been doing for the last five, six decades is not working. We can't build our way out of congestion, and the way we develop our cities isn't conducive to building cities like they are in Europe either, where they're slower or more condensed, um, a little bit um, less sprawl, and which allows transit to work better. So if the way we're building isn't going to work with the existing strategies, we need to look to new ideas to try and have the mobility system we want in the future. So while I think there is a lot of desire from the government, I think a lot of the actual pressure is from the public. And I think that's reflected in the very high value, uh, I think, that a lot of these new tech companies uh, are valued on the market. So version Hyperloop 1, for instance, is probably the lead player in the Hyperloop space. And they've only existed for about five years. And they're already over valued over $1 billion. And in fact, four Hyperloop companies now have a valuation of over $1 billion from foreign investors and, and other people who believe that this is the future. And I think the reason they believe so strongly in the future is they can look around today and see clearly what we're doing now doesn't work. So you mentioned the, the public pressures that, that go on with, with this sort of technology. I can imagine there's a ton of excitement, but also a healthy dose of skepticism about the feasibility of a project like that. I mean, I know, you know, uh, Dallas to Austin or whatever the, the city is in 20 minutes sounds great you know, because it cuts down on a three, four hour trip. But how are you addressing some of the big concerns that may be an obstacle for the public acceptance of this sort of technology? Like it's it's almost a sort of too good to be true scenario. Absolutely. And I think the skepticism is healthy and I think it's warranted. This is a new technology and the claims that they're making are radical. And obviously this wouldn't be the first time of a tech company making radical claims and not being able to live up to it. What I will say, I think the most important thing for the public is to be well-educated about the technology, what these companies are trying to do, and the implications. If we just sit back and let them roll out their technologies, a great example would be the dockless scooters from Bird and Lime. Uh, just kind of almost catching cities by surprise and rolling out so quickly that people don't have time to react. We don't want that to happen. Whether it's a good technology or a bad technology, people need to be educated about what they should expect from these efforts to avoid any potential issues. Uh, I will say that I think the skepticism is warranted, but I also think optimism is equally warranted. Uh, we know we have these problems with congestion and transportation. We know that has a disproportionate impact, I think, on the way we actually live and design and plan our cities. If we understand that, it means that we should be optimistic, too, that people are putting so much energy and effort and investment into trying to change the way we develop our cities and move around them for a better future. So the skepticism is warranted, but optimism is also warranted. Well, it's all certainly very exciting. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Stephen Duong of ACOM and Boca Powell for sponsoring today's show. 
Just a reminder, please subscribe to TrekCast over on iTunes and follow us on social media at The Real Estate Council on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram at Trek Dallas. Once again, I'm Bill San Antonio. We'll see you next time.